Hello, HR professionals. Good news. This episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. Stay tuned to access your certification code. Welcome to The Great Retention, a show spotlighting executive leaders who build award-winning cultures where people feel empowered, seen, and recognized. This show was founded with the belief that life is too short to not love the people you work with. We have a passion for helping people-first leaders like you connect individuals and teams inside your organization to create stronger workplace communities and cultures. So whether you're leading a small business or a large enterprise in a fully distributed or in-office workplace, we welcome you to our community here at The Great Retention. Have you ever been invited to a party or some other gathering but felt like you didn't belong? It could have been the music playing, the background of the people around, or even the context of the conversations themselves. That's how it can feel for many people at their jobs every day. So how do we create environments where everyone feels welcome in the workplace? We're excited to have Julianne Cromit, founder and CEO of Collective Moxie, on today's episode to talk about how storytelling can revolutionize diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Julianne has been a driving force in the DEI space for over 13 years, leading efforts to diversify talent in media and tech and helping organizations revolutionize their DEI strategies through inclusive storytelling practices, accountability, and community partnership. You won't want to miss what Julianne has to share about the importance of a shared vocabulary, why we need to talk more about what didn't work in DEI, as well as practical advice and lessons learned to help create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive work environment for your team as well as practical advice and lessons learned to help you create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive work environment for your team. Let's jump right into this conversation with Julianne Promet. Over to you, John. Julianne, welcome to the Great Retention. I am so excited uh, for you to be on the show today and to share your insights and you know just overall what you're seeing in the industry. Um, and uh, But welcome, so thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here, John. So excited for this conversation. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, you know, so our audience, you know, we are, our goal is to help leaders be better leaders, right? And build this movement of uh, purpose-driven leadership to invest into uh, their employee experience to really elevate um, engagement and, and belonging. And so, you know, the, the topics that we're going to discuss today around allyship, belonging, DEI, I am so grateful for you to be able to share what you're seeing in the industry, you know, lessons learned, and then, you know, key takeaways that, um, that folks can apply to their teams. But before we jump in, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of an overview about Collective Moxie. I would love to, you know, for our audience to understand, you know, the type of work you're doing, um, just kind of overall, kind of just the, 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 what you're seeing in the industry overall and when it comes to Collective Moxie. Absolutely. Um, again, it's a joy to be here, John. So uh, Collective Moxie, um, we are a diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI uh, consultancy firm. Um, and what we're focused on is actually narrative change and storytelling work uh, within that space. 
Um, and that can take a lot of different forms. So a lot of people look at me and go, okay, what does that, what does that mean? So my background um, is in media and tech for 14 years um, doing this work. Um, and what I have found is that if folks aren't speaking the same language within an organization, they don't have the same base vocabulary around how to talk about identity, how to talk about culture, um, about themselves, about other people. Um, you know, we all have been consuming narratives for our whole lives, right? Whether they be um, from our own lived experiences, right? Just from our day-to-day -day journeys, or they're from the media we consume, or um, from other people we know in our lives and times. Um, that's actually how we often right, understand the world and are informed by it, um, which means that we're often acting um, with different pieces of information. And so what we do at Collective Moxie is work with organizations on strategies, on how you can actually build sort of inclusive vocabulary and common language within an organization and with your customers, consumers, or audience, um, thinking specifically about different demographics or intersections of identity, different cultural contexts, um, and how you want to meet people where they are uh, on that journey, whether it be internally, right, um, how they're feeling in the organization, uh, their place in it, the department they sit in, their own lived experience. And then when your customers or consumers or audience, you know, how are they meeting your organization and company? What are their lived experiences and what um, might they perceive about you or not know um, simply because you haven't spoken to them um, in an effective way. And so we'll work on strategies sort of both at the internal and external level around that. We'll also do project specific work, you know, um, for example, um, with one client, um, you know, I'm working on a leadership institute um, and building that out with them um, for mid-level women and gender non-binary individuals who are specifically in creative roles. So that was something that was sort of missing from the marketplace. And how do we bring that to bear? So that's an example of something that could be project specific, right? And then a third area we do is that education piece I talked about. So doing workshops, right? Um, doing different engagements with employees, um, focus groups, feedback loops, anything to start to build actually shared vocabulary and understanding. Um, our workshops can focus on the very basics of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I'd love to define as part of our conversation today, mm -hmm. um, but that also um, can dive deeper, right, into that storytelling aspect and creative aspect, can go deeper perhaps in a certain area of uh, or topic like allyship, you know, how do I show up for others who are not like me, and what does that mean in building a culture of belonging, which I think we're going to talk a bit about today. Um, and so that's what Collective Moxie is about. We're about creating shared narrative and experience through those different areas, strategy, projects, and education. So I'm really excited to kind of dive deeper into a few of those areas with you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so so a couple of things you mentioned there, and it, and it's it, it's easy to just, you know, and maybe this is just me, you know, just thinking out loud here, but it's easy to overlook, like even the vocabulary that we use. We, we may not even realize what we're, you know, projecting or how someone else may even perceive that um, and how that can impact culture, right? So that's, that's one right. thing. So I, I want, I, I would love for you to, to dive into that a little bit. Um, you know, how does this impact culture? How, 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 as a leader, how do I think about this? Because, you know, I want, I want people to feel like they belong, right? So, so how can I make sure, even down to the cult, the vocabulary that we're using, um, you know, how that has an impact on culture. So that's one I'd love for to get your perspective on. But the other, you mentioned storytelling. Um, and so a lot of the work that, that you know, that 
you know, so so I'm I'm a, a leader at Cool Leaf, and and so we do recognition. And what I share with others is that's a form of storytelling, right? And there's a lot Absolutely. of power in storytelling. So I'd love to hear from your perspective. Where does storytelling fit into overall culture development and um, inclusivity? So so anyway, these are these are wonderful topics. I want to hand it over to you, um, but but I'm I'm looking forward to to digging in here. Oh, I love it. So um, let's start a little bit about vocabulary So, and shared vocabulary. Um, whenever I do a workshop, I always like to quote Brene Myers, um, who's been a leader in this space for a long time. She's now the chief diversity officer at Netflix. Um, and she likes to say, diversity is being invited to the party. Inclusion is being asked to dance. And belonging is that your music is played. And I like to add that you can boogie. Um, so like you feel fully free to be yourself. Right. Um, and another like follow-up question I always like to ask is who's doing the inviting, who's hosting the party, who's the DJ, right? So who are in those positions sort of of power, if you will, that are making those decisions and, and do you need a change up in that as well? And I love setting that definition because I think it's easy for people to wrap their heads around, you know, because it's so visual. Like we think about everybody's probably gone to some version of a party, right, in their life. And so what does that look and feel like? And you can remember when you showed up at a party and you felt like, I don't know if I should stay. I don't know if anybody knows me. So the workplace is really similar to that, right? People show up and they think and they look around and maybe the art on the walls, right? Like the posters on the walls are like nothing that they understand, right? I hear this a lot in tech, right? Like, you know, um, that sort of super, super geek culture, right? That shows up. Um, it could be as simple as like, there isn't necessarily, um, you know, a conf at Google, we used to talk about this, all the conference rooms were named after men for the longest time. And they actually ended up changing and making it gender equitable in terms of even the conference rooms, you know, being named yeah, more equitably, right? So yeah. these are like physical space things that I think can attribute to it as well, right? In that feeling of um, my music being played, right? Within an organization. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about shared vocabulary, you know, I always love to level set because everybody's coming with their own perception of like, what does diversity mean? What does inclusion mean? What does belong mean? Let alone their own lived experience around, you know, how did I grow up? What were the experiences I had? Who have I met in my life? Who are my friends? You know, what, um, you know, socioeconomically, what was my context, race and ethnicity, obviously, and gender, and a lot of things that we can visibly see, but also things like mental health, right? Um, and introversion and extroversion, um, you know, all of these things actually play a part in who we are. Um, and oftentimes you just kind of go through the day and we don't actually stop to think about, have we named like the dynamics that people might be experiencing? Have we talked about like how that might influence the way in which we hold a meeting on a day-to-day -day level, right? Um, I love using the example of like where a leader sits in a room, right? When you sit at the head of the table, that is a very Western notion of how you lead a meeting. Um, you go to other countries in the world, the leader sits in the middle of mm. the table. Like those are really practical, like vocabulary build ideas where it's, it's you all as leaders. I'm thinking about the folks listening to us today, having this conversation yeah. of what are those things you can dissect that start to be like, okay, am I just assuming this is the way we should do it? Or should we question maybe doing it a different way? 
or just asking employees. I think part of what also happens in building shared vocabulary is that assumptions are often made. And so we assume that somebody we meet has some version of a similar experience to us when we probably actually have very different experiences. So when you think about building culture and building shared vocabulary, it's like we actually have to articulate what our experiences are to each other and make space for that and make a culture in which that is welcome. And not only that, it's celebrated. Like the idea that our differences are actually celebrated and they actually make us more powerful as a team, mm -hmm. I think is a notion that leaders can explore, right? Um, in the sense of asking their team, hey, like, what does it feel like to work here every day? Is this something that like feels great? Or like, are you dreading it? Or like, what what is this like? And I think sometimes even just opening up the dialogue of asking a question yeah. can lead to different answers that start to illuminate, oh, we are all operating here from different places and we've never even talked about it. So that for me is the things I think about when I think about shared vocabulary, shared space, and the opportunity as a leader to say, hey, let me just open up that aperture a little bit and see what kind of feedback I get and internalize it. Because um, a good friend of mine said on Friday when I was doing one of my workshops, she said, and um, a, an adjustment is not a judgment. Hmm. And I think that for me was such a profound takeaway. Um, they say it a lot in art, right? A director, when they give a note, they're actually just giving an adjustment. An adjustment is just made, is, is there to help you make the whole better. It isn't about a judgment of that yeah. you're doing something wrong. And I think that's the other part of this is that we have to approach this work as leaders in saying, this is about adjustments. It's not about a judgment on us as a leader, yep. right? Um, now, if you do something really terrible, that's a whole other conversation. But right. you know, but when you're really trying to build that culture of inclusion and that culture of belonging, it's really about adjustments that then lead to eventually over time, build you know, building shared trust, um, building vulnerability, right, which builds shared trust, and the idea that you as a leader can say hey, we're not doing it perfect. How can we do it better? And I, and for me, that's so much of this as well as removing that shame and instead saying, let's take this from a place of grace with each other um, and agree on that together. And I think that's often where what the sauce that's missing. Yeah, I, I love the... I love the idea of um, one. I just love the idea of grace, <laughs> yeah, and, and celebrating, you know, celebrating differences and 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 just being open to getting feedback, right, and and listening, right, yep. without any, you know, any just any judgments like you're saying. Um, hey, I want to I want to really listen, um, and just starting there. But so so okay. So this leads me into you know a question you know, this can, you know, may sound a little tactical, but, you know, hey, from, okay, I'm a leader, you know, this is, I, I want people to feel included. I want people to feel like they have an opportunity for their music to play at the dance. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what are some of the things that you've seen have, have worked well when mm -hmm. it comes to, you know, starting on this journey or implementing, you know, a strategy? What are things that have fallen short? I'm just, what are some of the lessons learned on maybe sure. side of that that, that come to mind uh, for you? Absolutely. And it's such a, it's such a great 
uh, question that I don't think we talk about enough. So one thing I'll say to the caveat is I don't think anybody talks at any organization enough about the things they try in DEI and what worked and what didn't. And I think what's happening is that we're repeating a lot of bad ideas over and over again, because there's not this sort of shared notion of like, hey, we can talk about when we mess up, you know? Right. And, and I think that goes back to that sort of shame blame piece, right? Um, and one thing um, I've seen work really well, actually a few things I've seen work really well, um, are when I've, I've led different workshops and I've been able to engage with different kinds of teams, I've had leaders actually share back to me experiments that they've tried. That's actually how I've learned a lot of this stuff is actually in just doing that education piece. And one leader, um, when I was at Disney, um, gave this I, such a practical idea. Um, if you have a weekly meeting of any kind, so a regular cadence meeting or biweekly, right? It's a regular cadence meeting. Um, rotate who owns the agenda of that meeting every week or every other week. So simple but started to create a sense of belonging in a completely different way because it did multiple things. You lay it out first, like, and she explained to me how she did it and how it's been transformative for her team. So basically what she did is she laid out the names of everybody on the team and assigned dates and then checked with everybody. Hey, are you in on that date? You know, just to make sure everybody's schedules were aligned. So I think she probably had her office help kind of do that logistic work and outreach and say, hey, this is something we're going to try. We want everybody to participate, um, but we're going to do it with plenty of notice. So yeah. um, take a look, right? The reason the plenty of notice piece is really important is because folks who are more introverted, maybe newer to the team, maybe feeling like the lonely only, you know, they're the only person sort of representing maybe an intersection of their identity in the group, right? Um, you know, I've certainly been in rooms where I'm the only woman, for example, or the only Latina, you know? Right. Um, and, um, and it gives people time to prepare, right. And also kind of see how it works. Um, yeah. and then what she would do is then every week that person would own the agenda, they would send out the agenda for the meeting and they would lead the meeting. And it started to create this atmosphere where suddenly it wasn't as hierarchical anymore. The idea of like, oh, we all have a voice here. So there's always going to be an opportunity for me to speak in this meeting or for me to contribute in the ways that I feel great about. And the other thing too is whoever owns the agenda sets the priorities for the meeting. And yeah. so suddenly it, you know, folks who maybe were more junior or maybe hadn't had an opportunity to um, be able to sort of say, Hey, I really want to raise this. were able to do that in a way that was supported and didn't feel like this sort of one-off thing. Um, I love this example because I just think it's so practical to take yeah, away. Um, I love it. I, I think yeah. an, another one um, was to think about the dynamics of the meeting. So it's not enough, like we talked about, to be invited to the party, right? You need to be asked to dance and you need to have your music played, right? So um, another really famous story I talk a lot about in workshops I do is a fabulous gentleman named Glenn Mazzara, who identifies as a straight, cis, white uh, man in his 50s. Um, and he'll, you know, speak of himself that way, right? And he's been um, a writer and now showrunner in the television business for a long time. And he was running the show or show running um, The Shield back in the day, um, if you remember that television show. Um, and he looked around and noticed 
that two writers in his room who are both female identifying or both women, um, and they were at that mid-level point of their career. They weren't super junior. You know, it wasn't their first room being in there, not their first job. And they weren't talking. And he like couldn't figure out why. And so he went afterward, and this is, I think, really important for leaders. He didn't ask them in the room, like to call them out or embarrass them, right? That does not build, that does not build a sense of belonging or inclusion. I want to flag that. Um, He went and talked to them afterward. And he said, hey, I've noticed you haven't been talking in the room. Why is that? And they went, well, we would, but every time we do, we get interrupted. And he's like, what are you talking about? And they were like, just watch. That's all they asked. They just said, tomorrow, can you just watch? So he came in the next day and as the leader in the room, he sat back and he just observed the dynamics, just took a pause, if you will. I think pausing is really important in this work when we think about building inclusion and belonging. And he looked around and he noticed not only were they being interrupted, all the women in the room seemed to be being interrupted. And so he went, wait a second, this is not great. Because when you think about it as a leader, that's not productive, actually, right? right? Because what we're talking about here when we talk about DEI, and I always say this to not for people not to get it twisted, right, is that we're talking about the idea that diverse, inclusive teams and in environments of belonging perform better. Like it's empirically proven that they deliver better results because you have a diversity of opinions coming together to solve a problem. Like it's very instinctual when you think about it, right? And so he said, wait, okay, I need to change the rules, the dynamics of the room. So the next day he came in and he said, and this is really important for our leaders listening. He said, new rule. When somebody comes with a prepared pitch, nobody is to interrupt them. Full stop. Now he didn't say it was because of the women in the room. This is really, really important. He didn't call out anybody, right? He just said new rule overall. Yeah. And what he said happened after that is that the room became more productive because everybody was listening through everybody's ideas all the way through, right? They were able to break, in their case, break story a lot faster. They were able to actually move more quickly, actually in the long run, even though it caused a slowdown initially, it made them more efficient, actually in the long run. And then a really interesting thing happened two guys came up to him about uh, who identified as male, right? A couple of weeks later. And they said, hey, Glenn, we really want to thank you for that no interruption rule. And he's like, what are you talking about? And they go, well, we kept getting interrupted. He's like, what do you mean? They're like, well, we're introverts. And so the minute somebody interrupted us, we shut down. Mm. And so you have allowed us to have a voice. So what I love about the story is it's an example of inclusive design principle. So for leaders listening, that's a a term for you. Inclusive design principle means that when you design for the most impacted group or affected group in a situation, you actually make it better for the whole. And there's tons of examples of this, but I love this story because I think it's also so applicable to -to day-to-day meetings. And, um, and so I always say, you know, take that with you. Like, how could you be thinking about applying inclusive design principles into your meetings, right? Into your day-to-day dynamics of your team, right? Into um, the project flow that you have, like into your operations. Um, You know, DEI work is actually operational work in many ways. And I don't think people think about it that way. 
But what Glenn was doing was actually just changing operation in a way. And so, um, you know, those are two examples for me of like outstanding, um, you know, work. And then I would say the things I pointed out are the things not to do <laughs> so that you don't slide into something that actually sort of backfires or, or doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Those, um, that, those were gold, Julianne, um, loved it, loved it, loved it. I'm going to be applying this for myself, by the way. So this is awesome. Um, so this is one of the, the best things about being able to, to, um, have the honor of leading this podcast. I learned so much <laughs> from all the, the leaders that we get to connect with, but, um, but, but, you know, I love that it's, it's, Hey, it doesn't even cost any money. It doesn't, it, you know, I don't, all I'm doing is one, I'm empowering others to lead meetings, right? I'm, and people are taking ownership of those meetings, right? Um, brilliant. Um, and then, you know, like you said, taking a pause and just observing what's happening, making sure there's oxygen in the room for everyone to speak, right? And um, and then the result of that is higher performance, um, you know, people feeling engaged. Um, so those are two dynamite uh, examples. Thank you for 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 sharing those. I know Absolutely. That we'll be able to apply those. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to touch on you know some of the the buzzword trends that I know have impacted a lot of organizations over the last um, year or so. Um, so as we went out of the pandemic for for the most part, there was this buzzword around the great resignation, you know, people leaving companies for whatever reason. Um, and and then, you know, as we kind of moved into uh, maybe some more economic uncertainty, maybe people weren't leaving as much, but then you had this whole term around quiet quitting. Um, and so I wanted to, to, to get your quick perspective, you know, how has this impacted any of the work when it comes to DE&I? impacted culture you know mm -hmm. have you seen these trends out in the workplace just curious you know that anything that you can share for other leaders who may be navigating some of these things sure absolutely you know i think you know disengagement with a team or with a project or with your job you know sort of quiet quitting if you will has you know phrase now you know has been going on for a while i think it's just that now we've sort of named it in a different way um and I think that and also the great resignation in many ways, um, and you saw, by the way, a higher index just, you know, proportionally of women, of um, individuals of color, right, whether um, they identified as women or not, you know, anybody sort of from a historically underrepresented group um, were leaving in larger numbers, right, in terms of the great resignation um, and or in quiet quitting from what we can tell from the data. And so I think these concepts are actually inextricably linked, right, in terms of inclusion and belonging and um, a maybe a uh, outcome or a symptom of when you don't feel included or that you belong is that you quiet quit or that mm -hmm. you resign to try to find an environment in which you do. And I think that's a very logical, rational journey to go on for somebody, right? And so as a leader, I think the things to be thinking about, and I've talked actually a lot of my clients, we've been having this conversation. We haven't talked about it at all today in the podcast, but generational differences and views of work are also playing a part in this. And we are the first, we are at the only time in modern history that five generations have been in the workplace at the same time. Yep. And we have to understand what that means. And I'm sure you all have had some other conversations on the podcast around this, but that that also plays a part, right, in senses of belonging, but also in the way you fundamentally think about what you want from a job 
and what you believe a company is responsible to you for. And I think that is very different from Gen Z, you know, to boomers and um, the greatest generation, everything in between, right? And I think those are things that are often not talked about out loud, which is, you know, when you came up in a certain time period, your perspective on work and what was available to you and how you worked is actually really different. Um, And that for me is actually, I think, a bit of what I'm seeing in the marketplace in terms of playing out. And I've had this conversation, I can't even tell you how many times, where we have a mismatch in expectations happening. So it's not just that we're talking about individual lived experiences, you know, not aligning and there's a communication gap, right? Where it's like, I've lived this life and I'm over here, I've lived this life and we're not having a shared vocabulary. There's another layer happening there, which is fundamentally how we think about work is different. Like Gen Z is like, I expect to be able to work remotely. I I am on my phone and engaged online and community-based thinking all day, right? That's a very different framework. I mean, think about it. That's an incredibly different framework than 20 years ago, even, or even maybe 10 years ago in how you think about work. And so for me, that's a lot of what I think of, think about when I'm thinking about inclusion and belonging and the sort of great resignation and quiet quitting movement. And I think how leaders can get at it is a few things. One is saying the quiet parts out loud, like talking with your team and maybe even individually with your team members about what are your expectations from this job, from me, from work, actually having that conversation openly. And honestly, I think is really important. I had a team member once and I loved this. She brought me a worksheet to fill out with her at our first one-on-one about how each of us likes to communicate. So email, ping, text, phone call, Zoom call, whatever it might be. Um, How each of us likes to receive information and how we process information. Like I like to immediately spit back. That's the extrovert in me. Whereas she wanted to sit with it a little bit longer, right? And so I think if each leader goes with their direct reports and has a really honest conversation that says, hey, I wanna understand from you, like, what are your expectations of me as a leader? What can I do to remove obstacles for for you? How do you like to be communicated with? Like, what is your preference? And this is mine and maybe we meet halfway, right? Actually have those things and say those quiet parts out loud, I think is an amazing first step. And then I think it's about delivering on that because that's where you build trust, right? Trust is through shared vulnerability and then promises that are kept and met, right? It's all expectation setting. And so what we have, I think right now is a lot of this happening and I'm doing this for the listeners. I'm sort of moving my hands um, up and, you know, like one is below and one is above and never the twain shall meet basically like Mm -hmm. ships in the night. And I think that's actually what we're solving for is how to bring those conversations together between you and your direct report. And then I think from there, you can start having deeper conversations about, hey, like, what would you love to see from the team? You know, as we were talking about that feedback loop, right? Like adjustments are not judgments. And I think how can you create a culture within your team by having that level of transparency around how we each like to communicate, how we like to receive information, how we like to process things, and then say, okay, how do we want to function as a team with that and actually have that conversation and move from there and actually deliver as a leader. 
then you've got the trust of your employees. And now you're operating at a whole other level. You're not going to have people quiet quit and resign and, and sort of blindside you if you have that dialogue and that trust already built. The issue is once that's either not built from the beginning or it's broken, it's very hard to get back. And that's where I think uh, the issues are happening, which is that leaders are realizing too late that somebody is not happy yep. and it should never be a surprise. And I think that's why it always goes back to that constant feedback loop and the idea of actually implementing the feedback. Yep. Yeah. And uh, to your point earlier, taking a pause, listening. That's right. Being, being willing to listen and open to listen, right? And not not feeling judgment or it's, hey, I'm making adjustments, right? Um, yeah. But uh, no, that that's it, it. It makes a lot of sense, Julianne. Like you're you're calling it out, and it's like, oh wow, like yeah, that I need to I need to take the time to hear and listen. And you have these different generational, you know, perspectives, right? And and um, it's very obvious when you call it out like this. But I'm 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 in I'm in the day to day, you know, I'm in the grind, right. not even looking at it, right? And so taking that time to actually hear and listen, I mean, it absolutely it makes sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's the it's famous, true. John, it's the famous line of like, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me. <laughs> yes, and I think yeah. that's what this is, right? Is like when we assume yeah. we make an ass out of each other. And I'm not saying that pejoratively. I really mean yeah. that we just end up talking past each other, quite frankly. Yeah. 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 yeah no, it makes sense. So, mm -hmm. so okay. So, Julianne, thank you. Um, this has been wonderful in terms of just practical you know, uh, takeaways that leaders can use, you know, with their team. Um, so as we wrap up our conversation today, um, you know, kind of going back to this theme of practical takeaways, is there, is there one piece of advice or, you know, a lesson learned that you can leave with the audience um, as we wrap up um, that, you know, that again, that, that perhaps they can, you know, apply uh, to their teams today? A great question. We have a few nuggets from the conversation, but what yeah. I would I would definitely say is that um, this is a marathon and not a sprint. But that also doesn't mean you shouldn't um, lose the urgency and the hunger um, to keep evolving and adjusting every day. Um, I think that one of the things um, we didn't go as, as deeply into, but you've seen a lot of organizations make commitments right around DEI. And I think it's all well and good to say, you know, you're committed to equity and inclusion. You want an organization to be diverse for all the reasons we just talked about. You want people to feel included and like they belong. But the actual work of that is day-to-day -day work. A friend of mine used to say, it's like diet and exercise. It is literally a day-to-day -day practice as a leader, which means you got to keep checking yourself too. Um, and by the way, some of that is looking inward as, as to where do I have hangups about my own leadership, about who I am, anything that's kind of weighing on me, you have to also be willing to go into, which is a little scary. And I think the other part of it is it is a marathon. This work, if if you, and, and I say it's work because it is actually work, right? It's not easy, but in fact, it is just complex, not complicated. And if I were going to leave anybody with anything is, please, please remember to do this one day at a time with a vision for where you want to be five years from now and 10 years from now and map that onto paper 
and put accountability against it in your organization. So that doesn't just mean metrics, right? That also means accountability may be attached to financial compensation and accountability attached to the success of the organization. In truth, great DEI work will lead you to be a far more successful and profitable company or organization. And so it takes that kind of discipline and that kind of accountability, like you treat every other part of your business in order to see it to fruition. And remember that it is connected to everything else you do in your organization, not just your HR function, but your product, what you're delivering, your audiences and your consumers, right? The way in which you might run, run tech within your organization, whatever it is, your marketing, all of it, all of it, you should look at it with this DEI lens overall. And then again, set that accountability and those goals so that you're actually knowing what you're working toward and how it's tied to the ultimate success of the organization and of the people within it. Very well said, Julianne. It's it's the marathon. We are the marathon. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again. Um, really appreciate you sharing your insights um, and uh, loved having you on the show today. So thank you. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. That wraps up another edition of The Great Retention. Thank you for joining us and being a leader who genuinely cares about recognizing and empowering the everyday hero and the team members around you. We are proud to support your leadership journey and grateful for your support of this podcast. If you haven't already, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. This helps us get this content in front of more aspiring people first business leaders. If you'd like more perspectives on how to create exceptional cultures around award-winning talent, go to coolleaf.com and sign up for our newsletter to get them straight into your inbox two times per month. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat with Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. Now go be people first leaders by celebrating and connecting your people today. HR professionals, thanks for listening. As promised, this episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. To claim your SHRM credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM. To claim your HRCI credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI. Complete the three-question form to receive your certification code. That's coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM and coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI.